Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology, mental health, and self-growth. Although topics discussed on this podcast are similar to therapy, Psych Talk is not a replacement for therapy and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Psych Talk and thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Today I have a very special guest with me, Linda Meyer Abdel Syed, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. So Linda, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. So I am so excited for our conversation like we were talking about before we hit record, but before we dive into that, can you introduce yourself a little bit about your background and what you do? Yes, I would love to. So like you said, my name is Linda Meyer Abdel Sayed. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in California and Illinois. And I've been doing that for about a decade now, a little over a decade. I am the founder of Smart Talk Marriage and Family Therapy Inc., which I created in 2017 as a telehealth platform for new moms. And so then when COVID hit, in 2020, because we were already HIPAA compliant and we took insurance, the group kind of exploded and we are now in four states. So we're in California, Illinois, New York, and Florida. And so we can work with new moms in all four of those states. So I predominantly do that. And then over the last year, I have started working with Pepperdine University out in LA as an adjunct professor. And there I teach master's level students in clinical psych how to do assessments. Awesome. When you said telehealth in 2017, my first thought was, wow, you were like three years ahead of the curve compared to the rest of us. I know. <laughs> that it suddenly was very had to learn. slow at the beginning. <laughs> at the beginning, it was pretty slow because not a lot of people were doing telehealth or seeking yeah. it out. But then when COVID hit, it was just like, boom. Oh, I imagine like it, it makes sense to me that your practice grew exponentially because you actually knew what you were doing. Unlike the rest of us that were like, <laughs> um, like, how do now we what? log in? Like, what, <laughs> what do we yeah. do? I always say one of the things, at least for the therapy world that was positive that came out of COVID was telehealth and accessibility. But the fact that it wasn't even like you were one year ahead, like three full years ahead of the curve. That's that's <laughs> impressive. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I know one of your areas of specialization and interest is working with high achieving women transitioning into motherhood. So can you talk a little bit about how you got into that niche or even just working with mothers in general? Yeah. So, you know, like so many other therapists, we tend to go into what we experience ourselves. So in 2016, I had twins. And so very quickly discovered that it was going to be very hard for 
somebody like me to access mental health services. Mm -hmm. Back then, telehealth wasn't really a big thing yet. And the idea of finding childcare for twins once a week for an office-based visit seemed really difficult. And the idea of bringing twins to an office-based visit seemed impossible. And so I realized, and you know, that's why the telehealth piece also came in so early was because I realized if new moms need therapy, which a lot of new moms do and deserve, having therapy accessible would be vital. And so, you know, I decided let's make it telehealth and let's really focus on those first couple of months. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as my own practice grew, in 2020, 2021, 2022, I started to notice that the high achieving women, so the women who have very strong careers and strong identities in their careers, were really struggling with motherhood. And mm -hmm. so then I pivoted even more into that domain. And that's kind of where I lie now, is the, mm -hmm. is the career oriented women who have kids. That's awesome. And just hearing that answer made me even more excited for this conversation because I can relate to a lot of what you just said after I had my daughter. So she was born January of 21. So I was pregnant throughout <laughs> the pandemic. And exactly like you said, like I needed therapy, but I was like, there is no way and the pandemic's still going on. Like I'm going to go out of my way to an office. So I was lucky to find a therapist that specialized in perinatal mental health that was also mm -hmm. telehealth only could have my daughter with me for sessions. And it, it's definitely needed. Like what your practice is doing is so needed um, for, for telehealth is needed for so many <laughs> different reasons, but especially for those new moms. And even for me, it was like trying to think about going in because I work full time, finding an hour mm -hmm. a week okay, am I taking off of work or am I taking away time from family time? And then it's an yes. hour, but then you're driving there and then you're driving like it's, it adds up quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. And so, and so being able to do it all within your normal workday is a really a great thing to do because then it doesn't take away from the family time that is already so precious and so scarce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you just said that you noticed really 2020, 2021, when your practice was booming, that it was really this like high achieving career oriented women that were struggling. So broadly speaking, what are some of the biggest challenges high achieving women face when transitioning into motherhood that first few months that you talked about? Well, you know, to be honest, it starts even way before that. So up until you even think about conception, mm -hmm. especially in a high achieving career, you're used to a lot of control and you're used to a lot of time. You're used to kind of figuring out, okay, I can read the books, I can analyze, I can spend hours diving into the topic to really understand the nuances and then really understand what I need to do to get the best outcome. And once you start entering towards a planned conception, things can already go awry. You might not be able to conceive the way you thought you could. You, a lot of times that first delivery with that first baby does not go the way you planned, right? You might have thought that you would do an unmedicated vaginal birth and you end up with a emergency C-section. Mm -hmm. So from the moment you start considering having children all the way until they come out of your body in some way, 
and then you know you keep them alive for those first couple months there's a huge loss of control that happens for especially high achieving women who find comfort in control mm-hmm. and for high achieving women who find comfort in education or spending hours analyzing a topic before making a decision all of those things go out the window as soon as that baby is there and so women who are used to those comfort measures just kind of plummet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once again, everything you're saying, I'm kind of like, huh, I can relate to <laughs> that um, <laughs> in, in so many different levels. But no, I love that you highlighted that it really starts before. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that control piece. And, you know, I'm sure you as a mother, me as a mother have learned, like you can kind of try to control all you want, but things are always going to go awry. But exactly like you said, like education, planning, control, letting go of that in addition to what Mm -hmm. I imagine, like just the bodily changes, hormonal changes, sleep deprivation when the baby's Mm -hmm. here and before, all of those things just add another layer to the, the transition to motherhood and the stress that comes with that. Yes. And then you look at, you know, you look at maternity leave or paternity leave in this country being as abysmal as it is, you know, husbands oftentimes go back to work within one to two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so, and usually with a first baby, the first one or two weeks is when everybody else is excited about you having that baby. Yep. So then husband goes back to work, people stop showing excitement. And then at week three or four is when that sleep deprivation really kicks in and just kicks your ass. And so then you are kind of in this limbo state of just surviving. And then when you go back to work yourself, you're like, how am I going to do this? How am I Mm going to have a full-time career being sleep deprived, not functioning well, while also making sure I fulfill all my duties as a mom? Oh, absolutely. That balance. And I'm sure we'll uh, touch on that as well. But yeah, the, the leave. And then I know on a personal note, when I was on maternity leave, like feeling, even though I was doing a lot, like as in, you know, providing nutrition for my daughter and like, you know, taking care of her, things like that. I felt personally as somebody that is very like career oriented, like I wasn't doing enough. Like my day wasn't structured Mm -hmm. enough. Everything was around baby sleeping, eating, (laughs) pooping. (laughs) And then yeah the house was a mess and I thought I could get it done, but then I'm also like all of those things, um, going back to that sense of control, a lot of it is out of control. Yes. And a lot of the beginning has to do with adjusting to that new normal and that new expectation of the house can be a mess. And it doesn't mean you are a bad wife, a bad mother, a bad worker. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So Can you talk about what it means to be the default parent and what are some of the challenges that default parents face? Because I feel like this term is like thrown around a lot. People talk about it, but can you, from your expertise, talk about what it is and what the challenges are? Yeah. So default parent really became a term that's kind of become buzzworthy, at least in social media, right? Yeah. We see it all the time right now. Um, and maybe I see it all the time because of the algorithm, but I see it all the time. <laughs> yeah, um, I see too. And so when, you know, when I went to school in 
2007 to 2009, the primary term used was primary caregiver. That's mm -hmm. kind of what we use to describe usually the mother, the mm -hmm. primary caregiver of the child. And I think what has happened is this new term of default parent really describes what we are doing a little bit more accurately because it really describes the idea that we are the number one person for everything, not just keeping baby alive, but making sure the laundry is done, making sure the food is there, making sure all the appointments are done. We are the people who choose childcare, right? We're, we're mm -hmm. the ones who look for childcare, hire childcare, communicate with childcare. The default parent is kind of the one who runs the entire ship. And so the way I like to describe it is kind of like this idea that the default parent is kind of like a computer. And just like mm -hmm. a computer has a dozen windows open, the default parent does also. So there's like a window for feeding child. There's a window for laundry, a window for food, a window for bills, a window for husband, a window for career, a window for emails, a window for friends, right? We've got all these windows running at the same time as the default parent. And, and we're not shutting any window down. It's just yeah. all running up in there. And so what happens to us, just like to computers, is we slow down. We are unable to process information as quickly we are unable to problem solve as quickly. And with that then comes a higher room for error. And so, especially if you are a high achieving career woman, that usually means errors in work. Mm -hmm. We might forget to email clients back as mental health providers. We might forget to cancel appointments, right? We have these things that hit. Um, and then because we are high achieving and we like control, as soon as we fuck up somewhere, we then become critical of ourselves. I should do better. I should know better. I should be yeah. better. Um, and so it's kind of this snowball effect that happens from mm. too many windows open, not enough ability to process because it's just too much for the brain to handle. And then things start to collapse. Mm -hmm. I love the window analogy because it makes a lot of sense. And as you were talking, a thought that came to mind, going back to this idea of control, speaking for personal spheres, but also just knowing people and working with others is when we tend to like control, we also don't like to ask for help or delegate other tasks mm -hmm. to people because they might not do it right. Or, oh, I can do it all because like I know exactly how it's done. And so when you were talking about like we slow down, we start making errors and then we're hard on ourselves. I was like, but we also probably don't then delegate because we're like, I should, should the worst word for any mental health professional be able to do these things. And when I do them, they'll yes. be done quote unquote, right. Yes. And they will be done faster and more efficiently. Right. So we, we think to ourselves, it's going to take me five minutes to organize this task. And it's going to take my partner 30 minutes. So I'm not going to delegate because it's going to take away 25 minutes of, from their life. When in mm -hmm. reality, we do need to delegate, even if it takes somebody else longer and they don't do as well of a job. Because mm -hmm. as they practice, they will get just as efficient as you are. Mm -hmm. Well, and going back to what you just said a few moments ago about us slowing down and making more mistakes, it might have taken us five minutes when we weren't a parent. <laughs> or when yeah. we didn't have as much on our plate, but now it takes a lot longer, but we're still in the mindset of, oh, I can, I can do this, or I don't want to burden someone else because it's going to take no problem. But in reality, we're just adding more and more and more to our plate and more time. And then 
at least for me, when I'm doing things that take up a lot of time, what goes out the window is sleep. And we already know sleep is not uh, readily available in early parenthood. Yeah. And in addition to sleep, I think the other big thing that goes out of the window is that parent-child connection. Mm -hmm. Because we start when you're sitting with your baby and you're feeding your baby and you've got a list of things going on in your head around like, oh my God, when is this baby going to be done eating? Because I need to unload the dishwasher and the laundry just dinged and I need to put it in the dryer. You're not truly present in that interaction with your baby. And so you're losing out on that happiness you could be feeling. And you start Mm -hmm. to view the baby as a hindrance to getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. So what you just said there leads me beautifully into something I wanted to ask you about because many women entering motherhood, especially these high achieving women that like control that we've been talking about, feel like they're not doing enough. Exactly like you just set up like, oh, I need to do this, this, and this. So what are some of the unique challenges that high achieving or career women who are mothers face when it comes to feel like, when it comes to feeling like they are not doing enough? Well, I think, you know, that it it comes down to that core belief of you're not doing enough because you aren't. Your expectations are set Mm -hmm. up wrong. If you expect, you know, it's like that quote, women are expected to work like they don't have children and parent like they don't have work. If the expectation is that you are 100% mom and 100% CEO, lawyer, doctor, whatever it is, you are never going to meet those expectations. And so, you know, what happens oftentimes is as we are in our mother role, we are also checking work emails or we are keeping an eye on Slack or doing something where we then are never fully present in our lives. Mm -hmm. You can't just shut off motherhood and you can't shut off career. And so it's not about, I'm not doing enough. It's more about how can I enjoy the moment I am in right now Mm -hmm. so that I feel fulfilled in my identity as a mom in this moment so that when I then am in my career hours, I can be fulfilled in that identity. I absolutely love how you answered and explained that. Um, I wrote down what you said that you aren't doing enough because you aren't, because our expectations oftentimes don't change. And I don't know about you, but adjusting expectations is hard. Like Mm -hmm. when you have new life circumstances coming in. um, But yeah, if you expect it to be the same partner, uh, friend, uh, I don't know, household contributor as you were. Manager. Yeah. Manager, whatever term we want to use. Pre or post baby as you were pre baby and also show up in your job the same way. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, the expectations aren't realistic. You can't be 200% of yourself. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think, you know, the thing is, is up until motherhood, especially with career-oriented, high-achieving women, the expectation is always to improve. Mm -hmm. We live in a society that is filled with spring. We're supposed to constantly be in the spring season of flourishing and growing and improving and being greater. And then motherhood hits. Mm -hmm. And instead of viewing motherhood as another spring and adjusting expectations as a positive, we tend to view it as a deficit. That's what makes adjusting the expectations so hard is because we view it as a deficit. 
when somebody says to you, you can't do the same you did before you were a mom and you need to adjust expectations. Translation in, you know, high achieving women at the beginning is you are failing mm -hmm. and you need to lower expectations rather than recognizing we are still increasing expectations across identities. Yeah. We are expecting you across your identity to be more fulfilled. And we do mm -hmm. that by lowering what you are required to perform as. Mm -hmm. I definitely love that shift that you just mm -hmm. said, because it's not, you know, lowering expectations. It's, it's changing them based on current circumstances and exactly what you said about like, always like producing more and things like that, you know, maybe you were in a job where, yeah, it was like a nine to five or whatever, eight to five, but you would stay late and work on projects because you didn't have other obligations and responsibilities and that allowed you to get ahead. And now you mm -hmm. can't, like you literally have a life at home that relies on you that you want to be at home with. And you may view that as like, oh, I'm like not producing the way I was before or, um, things like that. So I really love that perspective shift that you just offered. It really made me think. When I think, you know, the beauty with that perspective shift is that it's a temporary perspective shift. Mm -hmm. Children are temporary in our lives. You know, if, if we do it right, I always say this to clients, if we do it right, your partner will be there for life mm -hmm. and your children will be temporary visitors. And so allowing us to slow down in our careers during those those years that children are in the home with you really allows you to feel fulfilled in those years as a parent. Mm -hmm. And then when they age and they move out and they continue with their lives, you can always pivot back to spending 80 hours plus a week if you want in your career. You know, I, I, I love that as well. Well, and also at least for, you know, friends I've had that have become parents in general, I know we're talking about mothers when they're also working, a lot of times the things they look back and reflect on are those moments with their kids or family and not mm -hmm. necessarily work. Yes, promotions are nice, raises are nice, or maybe you gave this really awesome presentation. But going back to something you said earlier about having to be in the present moment and learning to be in the present moment, because when you hopefully when we look back on life, even if we love our careers, a lot of the highlights will be things with the people we love, our family, our kids. And if you're not present for that, you're going to look back and be like, what did I do when from ages zero to five, for example? Yeah. Yeah. And you'll look back at those pictures of your babies. I mean, my twins are now eight and I'm looking back at pictures of them when they were, you know, under two, mm -hmm. a, a part of my life that I remember to be extremely stressful, but they look so happy. And they look so, you know, they're laughing and they're having a great time. And it's, and it's reminding me of the idea that in that moment, I was really struggling, but the memories of those moments end up being really nice and positive. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you just mentioned like stress and struggling and you kind of alluded to this um, at the beginning when I asked you about your work with high achieving women, but many of us have tools or skills that help us manage stress or other uncomfortable emotions, whatever those may be. However, you know, I know, I'm sure any mom that's listening knows that that completely changes when you add a baby 
into the mix. So can you talk a little bit about why it's so difficult for many new moms to lean in on their logic or previously used coping skills when it comes specifically to motherhood? I think I think the the hardest part with adjusting to motherhood is this need for trial and error. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we when we learn any kind of new skill, right? When we learned how to walk, first we learned how to roll over, then we were on all fours, then we started to crawl, then it was assisted walking, and then it was full-time walking. Mm-hmm. The same is true with language development. Even higher education takes us four years, right? A bachelor's yeah. takes at least four years. And then you get a brand new baby after going through a train wreck of a delivery and you're expected from day one to know what to do, right? It's just a ridiculous concept. It makes no sense. Yep. And so, you know, I think I think just like with everything else in life that we learn, we learn through trial and error. And that can be really hard with a new baby where when the baby cries, you just want to stop the crying. And the book said, feed the baby. You tried to feed, but the baby's still crying. The book said, let's change the diaper. You did that. The baby's still crying. The book said, you know, it's like you're doing everything by the book. And so the trial and error comes in to play with learning to read your child's cues. Mm -hmm. And for somebody who lives most of their life in their head, like many high achieving people do, that can be really hard because learning Mm -hmm. to read cues is an in the moment, in the body experience. So we add trial and error, which takes forever. And then we add onto that, the fact that babies are in a constant state of change. So, you know, by week two, you're like, I figured it out. She's crying because she has gas. And then by week three, that doesn't apply anymore. You're like, shit, now what? Now what is it, right? Then you added sleep, sleep regressions that you didn't know existed. And so you're just constantly learning Mm -hmm. and you're learning through failure. And by the time you get it right, there's a new issue. Yeah. So it's just very hard. It's just yeah. so hard. Once again, I can relate to all of that. Yeah, the trial and error. Because I remember, especially like early on being like, okay, we finally got, I don't know, sleep down. Or we finally got feeding. Or well, we mm-hmm. never had feeding down. My my daughter had issues with feeding at the beginning. But like, okay, Yes, the, her cry means this at this point. And then exactly like you said, then the next week, you know, either that change or something new comes up. And mm-hmm. as you were talking, you kind of like buy the book and things like that, you know, um, when we think of many like high achieving career oriented women, they're probably in jobs that like there is a structure. They know exactly like what to expect, what to come next. Okay, if this problem arises, it's step X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with the baby. Like you can try, like you said, you can read the books, you can test it out, but like, it's not a formula. And then every child is different as well. Yes. So you might think you got it with one child and then the next child comes or you had twins. I don't know if your twins yes. were <laughs> similar, different. Oh, drastically <laughs> different. I had a good sleeper, a bad sleeper, a good eater, somebody who threw up everywhere. Like, you know, it, was, it was drastically different. Um, and, you know, the thing is, like, in addition to all of that and trying to figure out the cues, you're also relying heavily on other people's opinions and ideas, especially yes. with the first one. So you turn to mom, mom tells you one thing, you turn to social media, social media tells you another thing. And so you just don't know where you should go. 
until you feel comfortable in your role as a mom and you feel comfortable in understanding your child's cues and then life gets easier. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. Like, you know, even if you're seeking out information from other people, because I feel like a lot of people will give unsolicited advice, uh, especially for the first one. Um, And at least, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, and I remember talking to some other friends who were new moms, it's also hard at times to set boundaries about that advice. Like, you know, okay, your mom says this, your mother-in-law says this, your best friend says this, social media says this. And especially if it's unprompted, it's hard because you're struggling and you're like, I want all the information, but then it's also hard to be like, Hey, no, we're not, that doesn't work. Or I don't want to do that. Cause you like appreciate and love these people, maybe not social media, but at mm-hmm. least for me, that also added stress. It's like, well, it worked for this person's baby, but why doesn't it work for mine? Or, you know, I don't know. I love that you brought that up is basically yeah. I'm rambling about that. <laughs> <laughs> When I think, you know, it's so common. I don't know why people think they're entitled to tell us how to raise kids when they they don't feel entitled to tell us who to marry or, you know, Mm -hmm. how to live our lives or what to eat. But for some reason, when it goes to babies, everybody and their mom and their uncle think they have a right to tell you how to do it better. And Mm -hmm. the reality is, as a new parent who already has all of these windows open, the last thing you need is another window that has to do with making a decision about which family member to upset by setting that boundary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing that just came to mind too, when thinking about just like general coping skills for stress, like some coping skills are not accessible to you if you have a newborn. Mm-hmm. So like if your go-to coping skill was running, unless you happen to have a running stroller, and know how to run with your infant, like that's not an accessible coping skill to you at this point. Or like meditation, you might get pockets of time to meditate and maybe you can modify like, okay, I can do five minutes instead of my 30 minute. Um, But yeah, I don't know when we were talking that also just came to mind about the skills you used. It's not that maybe they would work. It's that right now in this phase of your life, you may not have access to those yes. skills. And and especially with exercise. Exercise is a huge one because physically you can't do it for weeks oh, after know, delivery. Yeah. There are limitations to that. And then even things like running strollers have age requirements or weight requirements of when a baby can go into it. Yeah. So with things like exercise, you are screwed at the beginning. You can't you can't do that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well and one then, of my favorite okay. coping Oh, sorry. No, no, you One go. Of my favorite quote to tell to, to moms of any, like any motherhood portion, whether you're a baby mom, a toddler mom, is to drink a ton of water. And we know we know all of like the physiological reasons why drinking water is important. It's good for our body. Who cares? But what water allows you to do is water allows you to pee. Peeing is one of the few bodily functions we cannot ignore. We can ignore mm-hmm. headaches. We can ignore some, we can ignore hunger. We cannot ignore peeing because we have all been potty trained from a young age that when you got to go, you got to go. And so if you drink a lot of water and you pee a couple of times a day, that's a couple of times a day where you can recenter yourself, where you can sit on the toilet. And as you're peeing, you can do a grounding exercise or a breathing mm-hmm. exercise or whatever it is in that moment to take a couple of seconds to yourself to ground yourself. And then you can go back out 
and be who you know whichever part of motherhood you want to be I love that tip I don't even remember what I was going to say now to you because that was that's such a good (laughs) but it's such a good point because like me and my friends have talked about this like on holidays and stuff like using the bathroom as a way to kind of reset like at family gatherings you know if you're overwhelmed Mm -hmm. but yeah it's never occurred to me to just apply that to motherhood and then yes I know you're like all the health benefits but it what drinking water is really good for you being hydrated is good for you all of those things but yeah even if it's just a couple minutes yeah do a grounding technique Mm -hmm. deep breathing sometimes I just like to stare at the wall and be like there's nothing Mm -hmm. (laughs) here Yes. That's an excellent tip. You're just like, you're, yeah, you're just like pausing all your windows. You're just mindless for a couple of minutes while you're, you're in the bathroom. Yeah. I love that so much. Okay. I'm going to remember that. So thank you, Linda, for that tip. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, So, you know, as we've been talking about, we've been talking about how motherhood is, is a challenge. It's, it's hard regardless if you're a stay at home mom, if you're a working mom, if you're a work from home mom, which has become very popular since Mm -hmm. the pandemic, any other type of mom, but for moms who are both balancing work and motherhood, what advice or words of encouragement do you have for them? Great question. So I think we should stop calling it balancing because we're not okay. balancing shit, right? It's, I like it's it. not how it works. <laughs> because a balance implies that both identities are being met equally. Mm-hmm. And in the majority of our lives, nothing is ever met equally. We have moments where we have spurts of energy for career and spurts of energy for private life. So I think it's important to view it less as let's make it all equal at the same time and view it more as, you know, Monday through Friday, if you're in a traditional job setting, is really reserved for the career. And let Mm -hmm. me really make sure I get that identity fulfilled as much as I can while I am there. And then when I'm at home, I I can really focus on fulfilling that identity. Mm -hmm. So it's not about balancing things. Or when I'm on vacation, I'm really mindful about just being on vacation. So I think that's the first thing we need to kind of identify is just allowing yourself to have bigger parts of your career identity and then bigger parts of your motherhood identity kind of going back and forth rather than constantly trying to achieve equilibrium, if you will. Mm-hmm. I does that love make that. sense? Oh, oh, it absolutely does. It's like an ebb and flow rather than a constant, like the mm-hmm. scale's not always going to be balanced. It's more like, okay, there's times that it needs to be tipped one way versus another. Yeah. And I think going back to like the perspective shift, even shifting that language may help working mothers, mm-hmm. myself included, just listening to you talk, uh, kind of stop chasing that achievement of balance. Like I have to be present here, like recognizing there's times like, okay, during the work week, yeah. You know, my kid might get frozen pizza for dinner because that's all the time I have because work. But then on the weekends, if if you're working a traditional Monday through Friday um, job, like I can leave work at work and I get to be 100% mom. Yes. I think another big piece of advice I have for, for moms of any kind of career path is we do need to schedule in breaks. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like a whole day at the spa or, you know, a four day trip to whatever wellness retreat. Like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about true self-care and true self-care means and true self-care when achieved correctly is this idea that I don't need to escape the life I'm living to feel happy, but the life I'm living has been established to create happiness. Mm-hmm. And so that involves breaks. Things like an exercise class a week, a walk a week, dinner with a friend a week, whatever you want to do to feel like you have a break here or there. Because no job in our life is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nonstop. Mm -hmm. And so the same has to happen with motherhood. We need to be able to allow for there to be some regenerative time. Yeah. And as you were just saying that too, because so much of our conversation has focused on motherhood and career, but we're more Mm -hmm. than just being moms and whatever our job title is. And just hearing you say things like getting a, you know, dinner with a friend or things like that, really going back to like who you are outside of motherhood and your career. Cause you are a person, you were a person before either of those things. But I think a lot of times it's so easy in either camp. If you're just a career person, no kids. If you're just a mother, stay at home or I was going to say balancing both. You taught me not to say balancing, but or doing both. (laughs) Um, Like who are you outside of that identity? Um, And I think like exactly like you said, putting time aside intentionally to take breaks, to regenerate, rejuvenate yourself, find things that you enjoy is going to help you show up better for all aspects and all roles you have in your life. Yeah. And I think it's easier to remember that when you have children that are a little bit older, because with Mm -hmm. school-aged children, there is so much focus placed on creating a whole child. So the kid is in athletics and the kid has healthy nutrition and the kid has healthy sleep patterns. Like we're doing so much with children to teach them how to live a happy, healthy life. And then I don't have, I don't know what happens when we become adults, but all of a sudden when we're adults, we're like, oh, I don't need that shit. I don't mm-hmm. actually need all that sleep. I don't need that healthy nutrition. I don't need any social skills or play dates. Like I'm just fine working and mothering. So, you know, I think when you have older kids, it is a nice reminder too, when you're parenting your older children to recognize like, oh, I should live a lifestyle like I'm having them live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I-, I think that about that a lot just what I mean my daughter is younger than your kids she's only three but just watching her and like when she's tired like she goes to sleep I mean like listens to her Mm -hmm. body cues it's not like I mean yes we have to put her to bed but it's not like it's like pushing through to go do this when she's hungry she eats when she's full she stops like like basic things Mm -hmm. that we as adults like I don't know how many times I've gone and be like wow I forgot to eat lunch like because you're just pushing yes. through or exactly like you said, play dates or going outside and doing activities. And as adults, we're like, whatever. I don't need that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have to, I have to no, do the I laundry. I have to do all these things. I have to get them done. So all those things that mm-hmm. came natural to us as kids. Yeah. We threw out the window. Yeah. When a lot of those things can wait. Unless you are down to your last onesie, you don't have to do that laundry, even if the pile looks huge, right? You can go on that walk, 
and you can enjoy kind of a relaxed day and know that that stuff will still get done. Yeah, absolutely. So I know the focus of this conversation has really been on these high achieving women, career women. I did want to, as we're getting towards the end, kind of wrap up with a more general question for you about just advice or tips you have for any new mother transitioning into motherhood. Great question. All right. So the first advice I have for any, any person is really don't try to compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to a version of yourself previously. So if you are a mother to a two-month-old, compare yourself to week one of motherhood, of yourself, right? To, to notice the improvements you have made. There's no point in comparing yourself to other people, especially because usually we don't tend to compare ourselves to the people who are doing worse than us. We tend to compare ourselves to the people who are doing better. Mm-hmm. And so end up feeling like shit. So my first recommendation is compare yourself to a version of yourself at the beginning of this journey so that you can see and recognize how much you have grown. My next piece of advice is in terms of social media, really curate your social media before you pop out that baby and try Mm -hmm. to follow accounts like MomWell. MomWell is a therapist out of um, Canada who's the one who did the Invisible Load of Motherhood series and she's amazing and she really highlights the struggles that many women have so follow people like her who can be a little bit more real and raw about what it's like Um, and then the last big piece of advice is establish mental health care early in a perfect world mental health care would be established for every pregnant person while they are pregnant with appointments set up post-delivery just like you do with you know that six week post delivery date you have with OBGYN and those thousands of baby appointments you have that first year. You know, if things, if things go great and you don't need mental health, you can always cancel it, but set it up before you have the baby so that it's ready to go and there for you to access. Mm -hmm. I love those tips. I love that you brought up curating social media before you have the baby. Mm -hmm. Cause I think myself included, you know, it's like, oh, now I'm a new mom. Let me go find other mom accounts. But to your point, we tend to compare ourselves to people that are doing better or we perceive are doing better, especially Mm -hmm. if it's on social media, because it's like, oh, well, this mom, you know, has her full makeup on and her child always looks so happy and things like that. And it's like, even if we know that's not reality, that people curate like their feeds or what they decide to share as a struggling new mom. It's so hard not to compare yourself to things like that. Yes. Yes. And I think especially like when you look at it in terms of like a brain functioning idea, you know, Mm -hmm. logic is, is at the front of our brains and that's going to be the last thing we can access when we're flooded with emotions. Mm -hmm. We tend to access memory and imagination way before we access logical thinking. And so if you are looking at Instagram accounts of women who are waking up at 4 a.m. so they can get their workout in before the baby wakes up at five, and whatever other nonsense these people are putting out there, even if you don't believe it in a moment of clarity, you will believe it in a moment of emotion and you will use it to hurt yourself absolutely. and make yourself feel like shit. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, Linda, I have enjoyed this conversation so, so much. You have taught me so many tips that I'm going to walk away with, but is there anything I haven't asked you about that you would like to touch on before we wrap up? I think the only thing we need to highlight that I forgot to highlight at the beginning is that every woman is unique. Every family system is unique. So Mm -hmm. some of the things you and I discussed today resonated with us in our personal lives as well in our you know work and career lives but it might not resonate with every listener you have Mm -hmm. and so it's important to let moms of any kind of background and family system know that you know take the information that works for you that serves you and discard the rest Mm -hmm. there's no one way to be a good mom there's no one way to be a good worker you can pick and choose what works for you and just let the rest go Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing is one size fits all. And there's so much nuance because yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Like you said, a lot of things that you said resonated with me and my lived experience, but that might not be the same, but I think hopefully any mom listening or somebody that maybe is considering of having their own children one day can take at least something from this and apply it to their own life. Yeah. So the last question I'd like to ask all my guests is where can people connect with you? Great question. Okay. (laughs) So we have a website. Our website is smarttalktherapy.com. And then we have an Instagram account, which is smart underscore talk underscore therapy. Um, Those are great ways to kind of get in touch with us, follow us. Um, The Instagram account is curated purely for moms. Um, answering typical questions mothers might have. And um, those are really the two best ways to kind of get a hold of us. Awesome. And I will link both of those in the show notes of this episode. So people have direct links as well as tagging on uh, social media when the episode comes out. So awesome. Great. Thank you. And thanks so much for having me. This was so such a lovely conversation. Oh, absolutely. I was literally just about to say the same thing. I was going to be like, thank you for coming (laughs) on. Um, Because yeah, it it was great. I feel like we covered a lot while also knowing we probably just scratched the surface of uh, Mm -hmm. new motherhood. But I appreciate you taking time out of your day to chat with me, share your knowledge and expertise and tips And like I said, I've already learned so much. So I know the listeners will learn a lot as well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And thank you, the listeners, for joining for today's episode of Psych Talk. And I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.